0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The film Chasing Train is the definitive documentary about an outside-the-box thinker, with extraordinary talent whose boundary-shattering music continues to impact and influence people around the world. This smart, passionate, thought-provoking, and uplifting documentary is for anyone who appreciates the power of music to entertain and inspire and transform. Written and directed by critically acclaimed documentary filmmaker John Scheinfeld, who's also known for such work as The U.S. versus John Lennon and Who Is Harry Nielsen, the film is produced with the full participation of the Coltrane family and the support of the record label that collectively own the Coltrane catalog. Scheinfeld brings his strong storytelling skills to the creation of a rich, textured, and compelling narrative that takes the audience into unexpected places. The film is called Chasing Train, the John Coltrane documentary, and we're fortunate enough and honored to have with us today the director of that film, Chasing Train, and that would be John Scheinfeld. John, welcome to Film School. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome, and just uh, a terrific film in, in many regards, uh, not the least of which is since it has been some time since John Tr- Coltrane died, For a lot of people, it's maybe just a name that they're familiar with. So to kind of update people about him and his life, many of the things that I'm a jazz fan, but many of the things in this film I was not aware of and are truly moving. And to the depth and degree to which he was inspired, and we'll get into all that, is really a wonderful part of Chasing Train. Tell me, uh, John, a little bit about how you came to this project.
1: Sure. Uh, one of our producers, uh, Spencer Proffer, had come to me and asked if I'd be interested in, in making a documentary about John Coltrane, and like like many people, I was introduced to his work through his recording of My Favorite Things. Mm-hmm. I had a radio show in college, and, uh, and it sort of came came to me and, and uh, ended up playing it, and then, so I knew who Coltrane was, and, and certainly knew a love supreme, and to his reputation, but I didn't know a lot about his life, so I said, well, let me go do a little bit of research, and the more I read about him, the more I came to see this as a very unique story, a very special story. Um, We all know um, the cliché of the young artist who comes from nowhere, has great talent, achieves great success, makes a lot of money... uh, abuses substances, and dies young. We, we all know that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, Amy Winehouse. So that's just a cliche in the music business. But Coltrane is the antithesis of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he did have his uh, challenges with addictions uh, early on. Um, but it's when he kicked that addiction that he began to ascend, and he began on this amazing musical journey uh that uh, made him into the icon that we all know and to me that's that's a guy that did something the right way um and it's an inspiring story and an uplifting story and that's what i wanted to tell and so uh, that was our approach here uh, also i think um i didn't want to make a film just for coltrane fans uh i really wanted to bring the work of this genius to a broader audience. And so uh, this really is not a jazz film. It is a portrait of a remarkable artist.
0: <clears throat> Excuse me, I concur. Um, it is it is focused on his life. I thought what you did was um, nice in the sense that we hear the music often, in the course of the film, kind of in, in the background, we hear it as part of an interview that's being going on. We also there are many times when it's focused simply on the on the music, but we're hearing it a lot in the film, so it's, it provides a, a nice backdrop to, to his story.
1: Well, that was uh, Mike. That was sort of part of our of my thought here was um, let's expose people to the broad array of Coltrane's sounds. And I, I treated this. I mean, in my films uh, about musicians, I tend to um, to have wall-to-wall music anyway, uh, and so Coltrane was no exception to that. But um, I uh, I wanted this to be as if Coltrane were still alive, and I had gone to him and said, "I want you to score this film." So the recordings are not in in chronological order, and and we're not doing a music theory class or music history class where we're analyzing this music. I'm treating this music um, uh, as score for um, emotional moments, dramatic moments, poignant moments, thoughtful moments, amusing moments uh, in his life. And his body of work is so uh, diverse that I found almost every color, every texture, every tone, every mood that I needed to help tell a story was in that music. And so that's why the music is used the way it is. And mm. we do stop from time to time to talk about his more notable pieces, uh, but largely uh, it is there to uh, underscore the uh, the action of the story.
0: And again, I there are lots of things in the film that I did not know about. And as you articulated just a moment ago, n- knew that broad story—the story of a man who had struggled with addiction. But I have to tell you, I sort of left that was the last impression that i had w- looking back on what i knew about john coltrane before i watched chasing train was that i sort of had the impression that that was something that dogged him for for the remainder of his life and so and that and that's more of a Charlie Parker story. I mean, there are a lot of other musicians who are in that vein. But I had I uh, thank you <laughs> because it was something of an impression that had been left with me for some reason, that that was how he met his demise. I wasn't, again, not familiar with his his personal story. So and and it just makes all of the stuff that he did as a musician and also as a person. I mean, he, he, there's a lot in here about his passions. But it it it's, it really it's a that's a very powerful part of, of the film as you as you described it is that he was more than than that sort of uh, cartoon that a lot of people thought of it's just I mean it's just a great part of of, of the of the telling of the story. Well, you know the
1: um, the objective uh, for me was to bring him alive as a three dimensional human being. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all, you know, many people have seen the photographs on on the album covers, and he's always this very serious, thoughtful guy, yeah. uh, which he was in real life. Um, but there's a lot more to it. And, and I'll tell you, as a filmmaker, we always love moments that uh, we could not have anticipated when we're interviewing people. And um, when I started uh, uh, on this film, I, I sort of divided the interviewees into four groups. First one was people that that knew Coltrane and so could speak with credibility to who he was as a person and, and, and his evolution uh, earlier on. And so we had jazz legend Sonny Rollins and Benny Golson and Jimmy Heath. Uh, and then I wanted um family members. And so we interviewed four of his children, mm-hmm. and one of them, his uh, first stepdaughter, uh, Antonia, had never, ever given an interview about him in her life. Uh, and it took me about four months to persuade her, uh, but she did it. And she tells a story early on about him that it was a, it was a snowy night in New York and, um, Coltrane was, was performing at a club and, um, rather than, uh, she needed a pair of shoes. And so rather than take the bus, take the subway, take a cab home after the show, uh, he walked home to save the money because they weren't doing so well at that time so that he could buy her a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And I think she thought this was going to be a very small story, but to me, these are the kind of stories that are really big because they tell you so much about your hero as a person, and in this case, as a father. And uh, I learned so many things like that uh, through all the interviews that I did on this film. The uh, The third group... Um, were, were artists who have achieved success in their own right, but, um, claim Coltrane is an influence. So that's common. And, um, uh, Carlos Santana and John Densmore the Doors and, uh,
0: Cosmose. great,
1: uh, young sax player Kamasi Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then I had a fourth category, um, which I hope you fell into, but, uh, of people that, that you look at, at a film like this and say, what the heck are they doing in this film? <laughs> And uh, the first of those was Cornel West, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, Mike, sometimes you're smart and sometimes you get lucky, and I got lucky here. I had been interested in having him talk about the black experience in America because Coltrane grew up in the Jim Crow South and, then, and suffered from uh, some incidents in the 40s and the 50s. Uh, but it turns out when, when we sat down to do the interview, um, he's an obsessed Coltrane fan. He knew recording dates. He knew sidemen. He knew incidents in Coltrane's life. Uh, so he could make a connection between the black experience and Coltrane's life in a very eloquent way. And so I was really, really pleased about that. And and the other one is, uh, is uh, President Bill Clinton, yeah. uh, who, uh, uh, there's a whole story which I won't bore you with, but he... Um, is knowledgeable and passionate about Coltrane and not just oh I like him but he knew a lot of things and and there's four or five great sound bites from him in the film uh that really elevate the conversation and I'm so pleased he 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 uh, uh agreed to do this.
0: Yeah. Well, I really liked his uh his comparison to for, of Coltrane to Picasso. I think that was a uh, uh, very cool yes. very cool the way he did that. The, 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 it was brilliant. The, yeah.
1: You can you can see why he was the leader of the free world. You know, there's a brilliant there's a brilliance there that uh, that uh, translates
0: well to music. Yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit because a lot of people, as I said at the beginning of this, you know, grown up, you know, and long after uh, John Coltrane passed, who are vaguely for me, yeah, I know him as a musician, but let's sort of put him in uh, sort of a, the historic context of the the era in which he grew up, going back to the very early days uh, and his influences, Johnny. Hodges and Dizzy, Dizzy Gillespie, and but like his sort of the broad outlines of his musical journey. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sure. Well,
1: he was exposed <laughs> to music at home um, from the radio, from a record player, and um, uh, popular music, uh, jazz music, gospel music. Um, uh, but he didn't really pick up the saxophone till he was um you know 8 or 9 or 10 uh at first at first it was, it was uh, the clarinet and then he moved over to the saxophone uh but he was exposed to music so i think it was always part of his life and um once he started to take up the saxophone it it seemed to have had uh, a great impact on him and and uh, from there it was really uh, not a dissimilar journey to what many um, great artists go through which is you struggle to master your instrument whatever it might be um, you struggle to find your own voice and I think in Coltrane's case it took him a long time to to find his uh, a creative musical voice um, he tried to play like Johnny Hodges for a while he tried to play like Charlie Parker for a while right. Um we found uh, the very first recording he ever made as a 20-year-old when he was in the Navy. And uh, Wynton Marsalis uh, says it beautifully in the film. He said, you know, it's hard to listen to that and realize it's John Coltrane playing <laughs> because it's so awkward and, yeah. and raw. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then then he he encountered the addiction problems. And I my personal viewpoint is that that inhibited his musicianship. It didn't stop it. He still had talent that people saw. But I think it got in the way. Uh, but he had enough talent that great artists like Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis saw something in, in him and made him part of their groups. And I think it's really with Miles, uh, where he started in 1955 that he begins to take, uh, you'll pardon my reference, giant steps. Yeah. And, and, But the drugs are still getting in the way. And and when he, in a very dramatic fashion, which uh, people will see when they come to see Chasing Train, um, he he gets rid of the addiction. And as he says in his own words, uh, I began to play better, write better, think better. And that's why um, when he's clean, uh, he begins... Uh, to take uh, really rapid uh, steps and becomes the iconic figure that we know today.
0: Uh,
1: but I, I'll say, Mike, one of the things that always struck me, um, and there are similarities, I think, between a John Lennon, a Harry Nilsson, Brian Wilson, and, and, a, and a John Coltrane, is that they are artists who uh, went their own way, followed their heart, followed their muse, um irrespective of commercial prospects of what their fans might think or, or what the critics might think. And that, to me, is to be admired. And and Coltrane was very much about that. Um, not to make too grandiose a comparison here, but I, I'm a Beatles generation guy, and um, what struck me is that every album that they made was different than the one that came before it. They were constantly evolving and growing. And that's what Coltrane did. Every album he made was absolutely pushing the envelope from where he had been before. And it was always about new sounds and and new compositions and new thoughts. And uh, again, that is just, to me, to be admired. And that's just a wonderful musical journey to, to, to be on.
0: Yeah, like I couldn't agree more. We're speaking. With, <coughs> excuse me. We're speaking with John, Scheinfeld, and he is the director of the new film Chasing Train, the John Coltrane documentary. We you also know him from such films as The U.S. versus John Lennon and Who Is Harry Nilsson. Um, it's playing. It'll be opening um, on April twenty first here in Los Angeles in a couple of different theaters: the Lemley Playhouse in Pasadena, as well as the Landmark. Theater in Los Angeles, <clears throat> and you'll be in town for that opening. Of, that's April twenty first, um, Friday. You said Saturday. Did you not Friday and Saturday? I got that right? Yes, uh,
1: yeah. actually, Los Angeles is home. So uh, yeah. I'm just—I've been on the road for about two and a half weeks on another project, and uh, now, uh, as we're talking now, I'm in in New York for the theatrical opening of, of Chase and Train, but. We'll be back in Los Angeles, and uh, I'll be at the Landmark in the West Side Pavilion on Pico uh, on uh, Friday the 21st, Saturday the 22nd uh, for the evening show, which is 7:20 p.m. and then on Sunday uh, the 23rd uh, for the 4:45 afternoon show. Yeah. I'll be introducing the film and uh, telling a fun story about Denzel Washington. Yes, and uh, and then I'll uh, I'll be there to, to answer questions from the audience afterward.
0: And that Denzel. Reference has to do with Denzel voices the well, the writings, the thoughts of John Coltrane. Um, did not know that he did very, very few recordable interviews. He didn't do any television interviews and some a, f- a few radio interviews. But I thought that was a, a nice op choice, a way to a good way to go uh, with the lack of audio on him. So Denzel does, and Denzel again, what a great actor. And it's one thing to be a great actor on screen, but it's also another skill set to be able to come up and do a a, a wonderful job as a voice actor. And I thought he did a, a, a very nice job with this. Well, he just
1: uh, he just did, and it was interesting when we when he agreed to do it. Uh, i uh, we arranged a time for me to go to Pittsburgh, where he was making fences. Uh, and, uh, we, we recorded him on one of his free days, and he came into the studio, and we chatted a bit just to get acquainted. And, uh, um, we had a similar setup that I've had many other times when I've done voiceover work, where there's like a stool in front of a music stand, and the script is on the music stand, and you have your headphones so you can hear yourself, and, and then there's the microphone, and he says, you know, I don't want to do it that way. Uh, he said these were, largely words that Coltrane spoke to an interviewer across the table. He said, so I'd like to sit at a table and like to imagine the interviewer across. And and I said, we can do that. So we we brought out a table, and he came uh, extremely prepared. Uh, I've worked with some celebrities that don't even bother to look at the script uh, before they come into the studio, and Denzel had prepared. He knew exactly how he wanted to interpret Uh, John Coltrane, and and it is an interpretation. Um, It's not mimicking Coltrane's voice. Uh, Very few people have actually heard Coltrane's voice, but um, he's not mimicking. He's doing an interpretation much as he would if if this were a a full out um, biopic uh, in a scripted feature film. Uh, And the reason that he was Uh, first on my list to go after, and I had a list of about five actors that I thought would be right for it, but happily I didn't have to go to two through five, Uh, (laughs) is that um, if you think about many of the roles that Denzel has played, they are characters of quiet strength. And everybody I talked to who knew Coltrane described him to me that way, a man of quiet strength. Mm -hmm. And that's what Denzel brings to this. And I think really brings Coltrane alive, uh, that words he is speaking, it's not narration. It's its really the words of Coltrane who is expressing how he is thinking or feeling about something at a particular time, yeah. which I think really helps bring him alive and really, I think, helps connect uh, the audience to him and his um, journey and his spiritual. I,
0: I, John, I would say that throughout this film, is the, the sense of the presence of John Coltrane. It is it is not a museum piece. It is something that, for me, was so insightful and wonderful about the film is that I felt that John Coltrane came alive for me. Wow.
1: That's great. Thank you. You know, um, uh, we uh, sit in small dark editing rooms for months on end hoping we're doing good work, and and you never really know until you show it to a room full of strangers, or, or you do an interview like this. And you and I have never met Mike, and yeah. uh, to hear that something we did and intended uh, uh, impacted you that way uh, makes makes it all worthwhile.
0: Well, yeah, and um, what and I don't I want people obviously I want people to go see Chasing Train, the John Coltrane. Uh, documentary. They by the way, they can go to com to find out more about the film and where it's yes, going to be You will be able
1: to see uh, uh some of the great reviews, uh, yeah. some photos, yeah. uh and there's a section up top that you can click on uh that says screenings. Yes. Uh and it will uh it'll tell you all about uh where it's playing in Los Angeles, but as of yesterday, uh, we're on 87 screens across the country um, uh, starting uh, on the 21st of, of April. So yeah. uh, I'm very pleased, and that number seems to be growing every day, and uh, and that's nice. And, again, you, know, you sit in that dark room, and you hope you're going to be uh, uh, on the big screen, and, and here we are, and so we couldn't be happier.
0: Well, it's great to see, that because uh, often documentaries don't get far beyond New York and Los Angeles and a couple other big cities. But you're in, in North Carolina, you're in Nebraska, you're you're in um, Maryland, Michigan, Canada. So it's good to see it beyond, uh, like I said, the usual suspects. And that's uh, I think a testament, first of all, to this film, but also to your previous work, which is so highly regarded. So it's it's that's uh, that's wonderful to see. Um, I, I just one quick story, and I think for me, um, is is. Uh, a uh, key part of the story behind John, John Coltrane, actually two real quick. One is uh-huh. he was in uh, uh Miles Davis group when they did such amazing work as uh, Round About Midnight and Kind of Blue was kicked out of the band. Now, I want to make sure I've got that, the the chronology correct, but he was in Miles' band, was asked to leave and came back. And again, I think that's sort of a lot of this story in, in a very, sort of a very... Condensed sort of uh, a window into it, uh, and uh, continue and made amazing music with Miles Davis, which is just will live forever, I think. <laughs> um, yes. And then another thing was, and again, please go see the film. But his his uh, trip to Japan, and I think I'll just leave it there because there's an awful I... lot of uh, this his spirit. And his and and also his he he over time became an increasingly more spiritual man. I don't know if religious is the right word, but certainly a more spiritual man, and truly reflected in his, in his music. Certainly, a love supreme, and many other things that he did. But again, that's what I'm talking about when I said for me his his the man came alive. Um, oh, good. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, you know how many
1: musicians can you say? Uh, were disciples of Albert Einstein, right? Uh, right. Like Coltrane, and right. what's fascinating about it is he was a thinking person. He was yeah. constantly um, wondering, "Why is this happening? What's the purpose of the universe? What's our purpose here?" He was thinking all of these great uh, thoughts, and and uh, very much uh, helped shape his spiritual journey that that he was on. And this really is. In addition to being a, a portrait of an artist, it's a journey film.
0: Yeah,
1: so it's, it's the journey that this this young man from North Carolina uh, went on uh, for all, all, all too brief forty years. Uh, but um, and that's what I think again makes this a little bit different. Uh, you know, we're not this, this is not music history class. It's not music theory class. We're not trying to uh, analyze uh, how he played the saxophone or why. Uh, or, or 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 all the cool things he did that made him iconic. Um, yeah. uh, although we 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 will touch on aspects of it, but but really mm-hmm. this is this is looking this is peeling back the layers of a man to help understand him and his and his uh, art.
0: Right, and he's and he's often described as enigmatic and also you know basically sort of this. Uh, oftentimes we put these people up on top of the. Uh, Bookcase and leave him there, and uh, that's not the case in this film, Chasing Train. And uh, I, he, yeah, it's just it's true. It's what have I said already that I won't say again here, and that is that it's it's wonderful to see uh, this sort of much more personal side as a family man, as a husband, as someone who cared about the world beyond himself in in ways that were. Um, you know that profoundly influenced his music but also just he went out he he did more than make music he he tried to make a difference in uh in people's lives and and uh congratulations uh john on this film it's uh it, it's great to see john coltrane <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> as well as hear john coltrane so uh are you? Well, you're nice.
1: Uh, thank you. I, I'm very, very proud of this picture, and I, 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 I do hope uh, people will come out and, uh, and see it and uh, and uh, learn more and, and appreciate the amazing body of work uh, created by John Coltrane.
0: You're, yes, as well as well. So the, you can see more. You can find out more about the film at ColtraneFilm.com, and as you said, you can find out a little bit about John from the. Biography that's there, brief bi- biography as well as find out where the film is screening. And I'm sure somewhere down the line we'll find it on one of the platforms uh, uh, to be able to see it there. But see it in a theater—it's so much better, so much more, a better experience, especially when you're talking about a muse, uh, a film with a lot of music in it. I think that it uh, and it's a shared experience as well. You bet, John. Absolutely. John uh, Scheinfeld, thank you so much for for finding time to be here on Film School and continued success as a filmmaker. And uh, the people that you are shining a light on are some of my favorite people in, in, in the world. And obviously, you're a music fan and. I share your sensibility in that regard as well. So uh, uh, it's it's been a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you so much.
1: Likewise, Mike. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Take care. Again, the film is Chasing Train, called Train Documentary. We've been speaking with the director, John, Scheinfeld. Thank you.
1: Great. Thank you, Mike.